I just kind of, I feel like, I almost feel like it's a moral obligation to use this land in a way that is going to help people. And what better way to help people than to give them food? Food, we all put it in our faces and it makes us become alive and stay alive. And so we all kind of have a vested interest in it. Um, That's kind of why we do the podcast here. At Farm On, this is Joe Phillips. I'm your host for the next hour. I'm interviewing uh, Deborah Neiman, a friend of mine, uh, somebody who I've bought goats from, and uh, an all-around expert homesteader. She's been doing it for 10 years or so, and uh, she has, I think she's delivered something like hundreds of goats into the world. Uh, hundreds, which, you know, is seems like a pretty big deal but it's a really big deal if you consider that for most of her life her adult life even uh deborah lived in the suburbs and um drank soda and watched bad tv and rode uh stationary bikes to nowhere and did the suburban thing um but she's a passionate teacher she's a great writer and she's the bomb so we sat down and um, did something that I've never really done before on this show, which is to blurt out quotes from her favorite author, Thoreau. One of her favorites, I'm sure. Uh, Thoreau. And if you don't know Thoreau, uh, what can I tell you? Uh, turn of the century mystic naturalist from America. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just spitting out quotes. Uh, Thoreau quotes at Deborah, and she's free associating whatever comes to mind, and it was really fun. Um, so uh, I guess we'll roll into it. Um, it. By the way, if you hear any noise in the background, it's because I'm recording this with my dishwasher running, and that is an indication of the shoestring budget that Farm on the Podcast currently operates on. So uh, anyway, enjoy the show with the wonderful Deborah Neiman, uh, head homesteader farmer at Antiquity Oaks Farm in downstate Illinois. That's a way to start conversation. Okay. All right, this sounds interesting. Okay. <laughs> as long as it's interesting. All right. We're just going to jump into it. Okay. And if it's a dud, I'll skip it. Okay. So you have the power of veto. Okay, great. Because <laughs> there's a lot of quotes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the first one is, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. Oh, I love that quote. And it's one that has gone through my head a lot. And it was, it was definitely in my head when it came to moving out to the farm and homesteading. Mm-hmm. Because it, that was a big dream that we had for a long time. We started talking about it in the early 1990s and we talked about it for nine years before we finally did it so yeah it was a very long time Mm -hmm. and it was because I started to do the math and I mean one day I realized oh my gosh we started talking about this when our oldest was five years old and I was pregnant with the third one and now she's 14 You know, I wanted my children to grow up on a farm and Mm -hmm. I don't know, like she's 14 already. How much she doesn't have much growing up left to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like if we don't do it now, it's not going to happen. And so that's when we got really serious and we started looking 
and everything just started falling into place. Mm-hmm. You know, like we didn't know where we were going to get a down payment and it just fell into place and and everything. And it was it was amazing. And Do you were, feel like you still, even though she was 14, you still like feel like there was enough childhood to experience out there? Oh, yeah. She definitely got a lot of experiences that helped to shape who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. She helped us to build our house. Mm-hmm. She helped to birth baby goats Mm -hmm. she was actually it took her longer to acclimate to the farm than the other two the other two just totally dove right in Mm -hmm. just it was like fish and water Mm -hmm. and with her it it was a little took her a little longer Mm -hmm. but once she did get into it she was fully into it was it just a personality thing or what do you think was the what was it that held her back i think it was maybe because she was 14 and she was a teenager and she hated the idea of moving she really did not like the idea of change and all of a sudden like her whole world had just been upset and now she's on a farm (laughs) and i mean it was so funny because she would talk about it like it was this horrible thing and yet she wasn't even doing anything initially you even just rolled your eyes like a teenager (laughs) horrible thing it was i remember her talking about it like it's Mm. just her life had just been ruined and, and she wasn't even doing any of the work, which is what was really funny about it. See, that's something I really that I dread as a parent of a of a toddler right now. But I have similar dreams to yours. And one day I want to homeschool on a farm, on a homestead and do it for real. But my biggest fear is him rolling his eyes. All he wants to do is be on the, you know, computer and the thinks it's lame and I just don't know if I can constantly convince and how do you how did you do that it all happened rather serendipitously so I didn't try to make anybody do anything the goats were totally my thing and I was totally taking care of them 100% and one day after I had been out there for about a year the youngest walked in the barn and said can I learn how to do that when I was milking and I said, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. And for a week I was biting my tongue and like, don't be critical. She's doing her best, you know? Yeah. But after that week, she was a pro. She was better than I was. (laughs) And she wanted to do it every single day. And then she wanted to, um, start showing goats Mm -hmm. and I, which I was not into at all. And I didn't want to do that, but I felt like well, she's been helping with the goats so much mm-hmm. that I should do this for her. Yeah. And it just so happened that the oldest one was in driver's ed. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the nearest show... She needed a place to drive to. Yeah, the nearest <laughs> show was three hours away, and I hate driving. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, you're going to come with me, mm-hmm. and so you can drive. You can get in six hours of driving. <laughs> and so we took we went to the show... And by the end of that weekend, she was 100% sold on goats. That's cool. She was looking for goats for sale online, and she bought some with her own money. Oh, that's cool. And she bought some really good goats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then both of the girls were totally on board and into it 100% Mm -hmm. and really taking care of the goats. I was mostly making cheese and soap. But they were totally taking care of the goats. All right, so here's here's my uh, better half in the back of my head right now. Um, were the kids on uh, homeschooled? Yes. And so the big 
voice in the back of my head is saying, yeah, but how are they going to be socialized normally? And are they going to be uh, ready as like productive citizens in society? They're going to be normal. <laughs> did you guys worry about that or did you not? Or did it just, I don't know, was it a dis- discussion that you had or was it just let's try it out? That wasn't something that we worried about. It was something that people constantly asked us, though, and especially because this was back in the days when usually the first question was, is that legal? Because people didn't know anybody who homeschooled. Like they, you can get thrown in jail. Right. They, th- they thought that everybody had to go to school. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was the first question. And then the second question was some was either, how are they ever going to get into college or... How are they going to be socialized? Mm-hmm. And when we lived in the suburbs, our kids we our kids were probably overbooked. Mm-hmm. We had ballet, jazz, drama, mm-hmm. taekwondo, mm-hmm. softball, mm-hmm. soccer. That's a normal yeah suburban routine. Yeah, mm-hmm. piano, violin. I mean, it was it was crazy. And then we moved out to the country, and now all of a sudden we're an hour away from everything. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really do very much. The only thing we did was um, the kids got into 4-H, and mm-hmm. so that was the main thing that they did. But we are a very talkative family, mm-hmm. and so around the dinner, like we do not even have a TV in the main living areas of our house. So we definitely don't have one in the dining room or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we're always having conversations. And, I mean, that's where kids learn, mm-hmm. especially learn how to communicate properly <laughs> and respectfully <laughs> and mm-hmm. everything, not just yelling and screaming and running and mm-hmm. everything. And they turned out all right? Well, one is an electrical engineer in Texas now. One is working on her Ph.D. in biological chemistry, doing disease research <laughs> And the other one has a degree in theater and is a stage manager. <laughs> so. All right. All's well that ends well. Yeah. All right. Next quote. I'm happy with the results. <laughs> <laughs> um, things do not change. We change. That's a good one. That's a good one. I don't know if I agree with it, though. Do you agree with it? Things do not change, we change. That reminds me of the... So I'm really... I've read so much about stress Mm -hmm. because stress causes a lot of our health problems and I'm really into health and, Mm -hmm. and learning more about health all the time. And so when you read anything that's written in the realm of stress, they all say that it doesn't matter what happens to you what matters is the way that you deal with it. Because you can look at two people that both had exactly the same thing happen to them. Mm-hmm. One person, it ruined their life, and the other person used it as a springboard to do something magnificent. Mm-hmm. And, and it can be something really, really horrible, you know, really tragic. Like the woman who started Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Like that all started because of a really horrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, she and, turned it into something. Right. Yeah. Transformative. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are other people whose lives are completely destroyed by mm-hmm. that. And so, I mean, life is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you can't, 
I mean, I think that's just another what I think what Thoreau said there is just another way of saying that you can't change the world. You can't change other people. Mm -hmm. All you can control is how you deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is absolutely (laughs) true. How's that played out in your own life, though? Hmm. Well, I it happens on the farm all the time. Mm-hmm. There's there are things that happen, and mm-hmm. all you can do. I mean, you can't one tragedy after another. Yeah, it can be sometimes, and you can't stop that. You can't turn back time. You don't get do overs. Mm-hmm. You you know you just have to deal with the cards that you're dealt. And it's rarely practice, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some things that. I don't want to get good at. <laughs> like what? Um, like, um, one of the things I remember years ago, um, we had a lot of kids that were being born when we weren't there. Mm-hmm. and By the way, kids are baby goats. Yes. <laughs> there were a lot of baby goats that were born when we weren't there because we didn't know the signs of labor very well yet. And we didn't have a monitor. And... We got very good at saving kids that were almost dead. <laughs> and I remember saying at one point, we are way too good at this. Nobody should ever get as good at saving kids as we have gotten. Mm-hmm. Because it means that we've failed <laughs> leading up to this. Like We shouldn't have to be playing the hero and saving kids from hypothermia or starvation or whatever it is that's that's caused the problem. You were living on the edge. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And some people like that adrenaline rush, uh-huh. you know, and I don't. Yeah. I just I just like t- to be mm-hmm. I like to smile and laugh and watch those new baby kids mm-hmm. jump up and start nursing and everything. I don't like running in there and going, "Oh my gosh, is it alive?" Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, dealing with, like, getting the temperature back up and possibly tube feeding it and oh, God. that yeah. stuff. Like, I hate that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but you've had to conf- confront that hate, confront that fear right. over and over. Yeah. And that was one of the things, too, that, like, and I, I was thinking about this, like, I've, you know, I don't like the idea of having to get very good at dealing with difficult births either Mm -hmm. and when my daughters were home they were really into it and they were usually arguing about whose turn it was to to deal with the situation and so I just would sit back and let them do it you know so as a result when they grew up and left home I found myself having to deal with a lot of situations that I had never personally dealt with before. <sighs> I had seen my daughters deal with them. And you have them on speed dial and you just call them <laughs> consultants or what, experts? Well, the thing is, it's really a pretty simple concept. Like the, the bottom line is that a kid is only going to come out one end or the other. Like it's not going to come out ribs first or mm. spine first. Mm. But if you've either got, you know, hind legs or a butt or a nose, mm-hmm. you can get it out. Mm-hmm. And so that's the bottom line is needing to, is that it has to be in one of those positions. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, live kids always are. They're, they do a really good job of getting themselves into position to be born. It's mm-hmm. when a kid has been dead for a while 
that hmm. it's just mm-hmm. it it can't get itself into position, and then it winds it, and those are the ones that wind up trying to come out like ribs first or something, Ugh. because it's just the uterus pushing against this blob. But um, you've had a good run this spring, so like, what's the what's the um Ratio, yeah. What's the statistic? Are most of them uh, event-free births? Yeah, this year we're up to let's see, it was twenty-five, and then we had three yesterday and one today, so I think that makes twenty-nine. So we've had twenty-nine, and I haven't had to help anybody. They've all done it themselves, and um, the textbook goat medicine says that ninety-five percent of births don't need assistance. I've and, heard that. Yeah. And I want that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> and you just don't know. Is it is is it gonna be your you know, are you gonna have ninety-five totally awesome births <laughs> and then five where you have to help? <laughs> or do you just have incredibly bad luck? Yeah, you know, because I know somebody who had incredibly bad luck. There was a woman that I sold goats to eight or nine years ago, and um the very first birth they ever had there was a dead kid in it traumatizing yeah and so you know the first two kids came out fine and then this goat was pushing and pushing and they let her push like for two hours before they called me that's a long time for a goat yeah it really is and um because the whole gestation's like four months five months five months yeah mm-hmm. and um you know and usually like they, they're spitting them out really fast like within <laughs> a few minutes um and so I told her what they needed to do and that they were going they needed to pull the kid out and stuff. And the thing is the kid had been dead for so long that like they pulled a leg off oh. trying to get it out. So yeah, like it was really awful, you know. And and I told her I'm like because they were very upset and I'm like <sighs> It is not your fault if you pulled the leg off it's cuz the kid was dead. Yeah. You know, like that's Yeah. That's what happens because it was decomposing. Um, and I said, you know, if you can deal with this, then you're, you're scot-free. You're going to be fine. You know, I, I think I'd had like 250, 300 births or so before I had a, a dead kid that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of, and it, I didn't pull the whole leg off, but as I was pulling, the skin was tearing. And that was the only time I ever lost it. And I was like, because I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? The skin is tearing. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, like, how am I going to fix that? I don't have sutures. You know, I'm going to have to call the vet and this tiny little thing. And when the kid was out, my daughter, um, who my daughter walked in in the middle of all this and she's like, mom, it's not your fault. The kid's been dead for a while. Mm-hmm. Saying the same thing to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Like, sometimes you really do need another person. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're in the middle of a situation, mm-hmm. sometimes you you can't think straight and you need yeah. another person to tell you. Yeah, you're in shock. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty macabre stories from someone who says they like to laugh and see the joy in it. <laughs> well, there is. I mean, you know, like 29 babies this year. Um and they, they're cute and adorable and bouncing around. And thankfully, I didn't have to do anything, mm-hmm. quote unquote, heroic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they all just the moms all got the babies out. I mean, every year you have challenges. And the challenge this year has been 
actually, I think we've been too successful mm-hmm. in that we've we've had some first fresheners, meaning that they're first-time moms, that have had three kids. Mm. And there's just no way that a first freshener is going to make that much milk. Usually they have fewer kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually they have one or two the first time. Mm-hmm. And so we had a couple that had three. And mm. <laughs> so, Good you nutrition know, out there. Yeah. They're doing great. <laughs> And so that's been the challenge is so my husband is out there every morning weighing the kids like how much how much do you weigh how much have you gained and he's got his spreadsheets on Excel to make sure that they're gaining properly so that we know okay well you need to be supplemented because you're not gaining like you Mm -hmm. should and then you switch them to the bottle instead of the dam yeah Mm -hmm. all right so because you're a writer let's try this one. How vain it is to sit down to write when you have not stood up to live. That's a good one. Because you used to write before you started the farm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what's the difference? I used to write, well, I think I've always been, except for the three years that I was a newspaper reporter, which just seemed like it was an experience in learning a little bit about everything. Mm -hmm. Other than those three years, most of what I wrote about was stuff that I was really very interested in. And so... Like what? Like health? Childbirth and breastfeeding was the first thing. Mm -hmm. When I got pregnant and was nursing my babies, I was writing about childbirth and breastfeeding. And so that was from like 80s, 88 until... The late 90s. Back before it was cool. Yeah. Those were the things I, that was what I was writing about. Mm -hmm. And then when we moved to the farm, I started writing about all of the farm stuff. Mm -hmm. And how did it, like, I don't know, did your writing seem more alive or how does he put it? Did it seem. I think it's was it not it. vain anymore? <laughs> was it less vain? I think it's more authentic. Because uh-huh. I th- I think what he's getting at there, or at least the way I see it, is that so many people think that they understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, like it used to drive me crazy that male doctors tried to tell me how I was going to feel about having a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. I just thought that was ridiculous. Like, you're a man. You've never, I don't care how many babies you delivered, (laughs) you know, you've never had a baby. So don't tell me how I'm going to feel. Like, that is vain Mm -hmm. to think that you would know how somebody feels if you've never actually experienced something yourself. Mm -hmm. And even to try and educate people about things sometimes when you haven't really experienced it. If you just know something from textbooks, Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, and it's not authentic Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people who are, are goat obstetricians. I've seen articles, um, that say that the, as soon as you realize your goat is in labor, you should do an internal check. Internal check. Yeah. Like, check, check to see if they're dilated and see what position the kid is in. And if the kid isn't in the perfect diving position, then you need to move it around and put it in that position. And 
Sounds invasive. It's very invasive. And the thing is, it's dangerous. And what drives me crazy about putting that in a magazine is that you've got people out there who've never even seen a goat birth. They don't even know what normal is. Mm -hmm. And they just need to sit on their hands Mm -hmm. and like watch Mm -hmm. and let the goat show them how it's done. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're not going to know what normal is if you don't just let that. Mm-hmm. happen that approach is kind of like the um conventional agriculture approach right you need to like assert your dominance right. over this thing and don't let it get out of control right yeah and and also obstetrics with people too mm-hmm. you know it's like controlling everything and people think that that they can control it all and you can't not to mention that when you do assert that kind of control, the amount of fear that comes up in the patient and how the fear affects their ability to give birth in a normal way. Right. Yeah. And goats are very good at giving birth. And if they're not very good at giving birth, then they shouldn't have their genes perpetuated. Hmm. You know, I have a th- two strikes rule. Um <laughs> You know, I it's like because I, I figure okay, everybody can have a bad day. You can mm-hmm. just get unlucky, you know, mm-hmm. and I might need to help at some point because you got unlucky in some way mm-hmm. um, because you got one of those really weird kids in a weird position that only happens one out of every couple hundred births or something. Mm-hmm. But the second time I have to help, <laughs> then that's not good. That just that means it's time for you. To not do this anymore, um, because we shouldn't be breeding animals that need human help to survive mm-hmm. at that level. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with being there and drying kids off and making sure they don't get hypothermia, mm-hmm. especially when you have African goats in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you're trying to um, time their birth so that they're, like you're timing it so that it's good for the milking, not necessarily for the yeah for the comfort of the kid when it's born. Right, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think, I'm, I'm sure that a goat, I'm sure a Nigerian dwarf goat has never died from hypothermia in Nigeria. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <It's> doubtful, right? <laughs> it's not. It just doesn't happen there. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Since you're out there, outside of Cornell, Illinois, population what? Four hundred and fifty. Okay, but you're pretty far out. Yeah, I'm okay. five miles away from the four hundred and fifty people. <laughs> and you're surrounded by other. Some other farms and stuff, mm-hmm. too. Corn and soybean fields, mostly. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily your companions. Right. So this one. Let's try this. I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. Hmm. Do you love to be alone? Or is being on your farm really being alone? I don't feel like it is because I have always loved animals. You know, like when I was a kid, I was one of those kids who thought my cat was my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Did your cat think it? Oh, yeah. Feel the same way? She loved me. Yeah, she had kittens and she would not let me leave her. My mother told me it was the only animal I ever saw give birth before uh, I was an adult. And this cat was 
was giving birth and my mother said, just leave her alone. Mm-hmm. She got a box. She put the cat in the box. She's like, just go to bed. Leave her alone. She knows what to do. And <laughs> yeah. I was... And so I, I got in bed and she followed me to bed and she jumped in bed with me. And she was going to have her kittens right there on the bed <laughs> if I didn't get up and sit next to her in the box. So. Your first foray into midwifery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the animals are really the company then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody's an animal person, but I love animals. Mm-hmm. And this fits right in. There is no remedy for love but to love more. There is no remedy for love but to love more. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like other people have said that too. Like, You don't run out of it. You don't run out of love. It's not like you only have a little bit of love to give. The more you love, the more you've got. So. Yeah. yeah, we've, my wife and I, when we talk about, you know, are we going to have another kid? We, we've wondered like are we going to be able to love the next kid <laughs> as much as we love this kid you know maybe uh-huh. we can't i don't maybe it just won't happen <laughs> <laughs> not a problem yeah and now i'm going to be a grandma so oh congrats yeah in august i'm going to be a grandma hey and i can feel the love growing already that's <laughs> that's cool let's try this one on I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by conscious endeavor. Oh, yeah. Do you want to read that one more time? I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by conscious endeavor. Yeah. That's what basically has gotten me out of bed every day for my whole life. <laughs> did you know that quote or just the idea? I did that? not know that quote, but but that idea is mm-hmm. pretty much what has gotten me out of bed my entire life. And why is a farm why is farming a conscious endeavor versus is there a difference? It there? started the farm started totally selfishly. We just wanted to grow our own food organically. And for some crazy reason, I thought we needed 32 acres to do that. You know, I mean, <laughs> we could have done that easily. We, we could have done all of this on, we could have fed ourselves on two or three acres very easily. There are people mm. who do it on less. One. Yeah. There, when I wrote Homegrown and Handmade, I interviewed people who just, I just felt so small and <laughs> insignificant <laughs> compared to what they were doing on so much less land. Mm-hmm. And so that was how it started. But then as I learned more, I got more excited about growing food for other people. And as our children grew up and moved away, I felt like I don't want to just sit here and have my own personal 32-acre park Mm -hmm. where I could go take a walk every day and have some beautiful pasture ornaments in the way of livestock. Mm when I could be using this land to grow food for people because the demand for natural and organic food outstrips the supply. And I almost feel like it's a moral obligation to use this land in a way that is going to help people. And what better way to help people than to give them food? Like Hippocrates said, um, 
let food be thy medicine. Mm -hmm. And that's, and food can also be the most horrible poison. Mm -hmm. And actually food-like substances. (laughs) Food-like substances. Yes. There is so much today that, you know, looks like food, smells like food. Tastes like food, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Has funny aftertaste, but mm-hmm. but people are eating it and it fills up their bellies and and they don't know why they're getting endocrine-disrupting um, diseases, autoimmune diseases, mm-hmm. cancer, high blood pressure, diabetes, all this stuff. Yeah. And like and being, so many Because people. of that, they're being thrusted into the kind of the jaws of the medical world, right? Mm-hmm. Which just sort of like perpetuates the whole thing. Yeah. Because most, because doctors are not trained in nutrition. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trained in writing prescriptions and doing surgery, which is all really pretty primitive and it's all very reactive. You know, it's not proactive. I was at a, at a hospital. My father was um, spending a couple nights in a hospital, and I was there. And I was I see a room with a sign that says nutrition. So I go in the room, and it's a, a soda fountain machine and a coffee pot. <laughs> That's the nutrition. I think there might have been some sugar packets too. Oh my gosh! I thought that was a pretty clear. Yeah. Metaphor. Yeah, somebody else was recently telling me a story about being in a hospital and how the the food option, like you're sick and they're offering you all of these foods that are so bad for you. Like especially when you're really sick, they're saying, "Do you want some jello?" And <laughs> like which is artificial colors, artificial flavors and sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's there is nothing nutritious in that. Like that is not what you should be putting in a sick body. Yeah. How about this? A man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to let alone. It's kind of like what you're saying with uh with kid birth like or the cat giving birth. Like if you just leave it alone. I don't know. A man is rich in in proportion to the number of things he can afford to let alone. Uh, I think that probably has to do with like responsibilities in your life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cuz you can do that either way. I mean, if you do have you can you can go to two extremes with that. Like on the one hand, you can have so much money that you have very few responsibilities because you've delegated them. You're paying other people to deal with all of them for you. On the other hand, you can be like Thoreau, you know, where he lives in this little little bitty house in the woods mm-hmm. with very few responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Just because he simplified his life so much. There was something about simplify. Nice segue. Okay. Our life is frittered. Ooh, that's a good word. Frittered. <laughs> I need to. It doesn't get used enough anymore. I need to start using that more. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm gonna fritter my life with frittered. Fry. Our life. Our life is frittered away by detail. Simplify. Simplify. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it is. I mean, it is just. And he was writing that in, eighteen. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like 145, 150 years ago. 
Things were a lot simpler then. Right. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's just gotten so much more complicated now. Yeah. It really is. And, and I mean, just think of how many hours every day you spend doing these little tiny things that shouldn't, that are just, oh, mind-numbingly mm-hmm. tedious tedious and annoying and uh-huh. you wish you didn't have to do them. Uh-huh. Oh, I find myself getting lost. I'm like getting lost <laughs> in a tedious thing and getting lost in another tedious thing. Can't remember yes. the other one that I was doing. I can't believe how much time it gets frittered away <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I mean, Facebook should be like the king of frittering. Uh, Facebook is frittered out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I try to stay off. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, just a couple more. Wow, I'm just going to read this out loud because I don't think I can understand it if I don't. If you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now put the foundations under them. What? Some of these out of context, too. Yeah, it's just too hard. much. That's a riddle. I'll try it one more time. If you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now, put the foundations under them. I wonder if the castles are a metaphor for dreams. That's the only way I can see that making sense. I mean, I could see a correlation. I think people who go back to the land, you know, if you're telling other people, like, I'm going to go start a farm... I'm just going to go buy some land and start a farm. I've been a city girl most of my life. Uh-huh. They must think you're <laughs> nuts. They did. And so you're building mm-hmm. castles in the air to them. That's true, yeah. I was 39 years old when we bought the land and said we were moving out to the country. And people were very shocked, and the most common response was, did you grow up on a farm? And, and I would say, no. Did your husband? No. How are you going to know what to do? Oh, okay. And, um, and then after we were out there for a few years, I think probably around three to five years, people started saying, you know, I really did not think this you were going to last. I figured, mm-hmm. you know, in a year or two, you would turn around and be back in the suburbs again. Mm-hmm. Because it sounded like a pretty crazy idea. Mm-hmm. And so how do you um, put the foundations under your castles in the air? Like, what does that mean? Like, there must have been a, there must have been a transition period where you were just trying stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, uh, we need to refine this mm-hmm. part of the farm, or maybe this part of the farm is completely different than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. There was a lot of learning because I thought everything was going to be really easy because it, I mean, I thought people have been doing this since the beginning of time, so it can't be hard. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) boy, I have a whole new respect for people that lived a couple hundred years ago. They were really smart. And I really wish that my parents would not have died as early as they did Mm -hmm. because they they lived on a farm Mm -hmm. their whole life until I was three years old. So I really wish that I would have had the opportunity to ask them more questions and find out, you know, so what did you do before Roundup was invented? Mm -hmm. Country wisdom. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you do before 
seven dust was invented. Mm -hmm. And how quickly we've lost those mm -hmm. those uh, memories, those yes. skills. Yeah, because now when you when people talk about like what grandma did and what grandpa did, mm -hmm. well, now grandma and grandpa were using Roundup and Seven Dust. <laughs> My grandma and grandpa were living on canned food. Mostly, yeah, exactly. Know? They were they were um, you know products of the um, Dust Bowl of the mm -hmm. Depression. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last one. Ready. It's a doozy. Okay. <laughs> Rather than love, than money, than fame, give me truth. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> You're a writer, so to some degree, fame is important, right? Only to the degree that people find my books and read them and make changes in their lives to improve the world. Mm -hmm. So... Yes, I mean that's the only reason I'm on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a way to reach people. Do you tweet? Not very well. <laughs> I've I've been on Twitter, but I I have done what all the experts say you shouldn't do, and that is I tied my Twitter account to my Facebook account. You're not supposed to do that. So well, it's that. not the best thing for engagement. Uh, people are like, oh, you're lazy. Yeah. And so everything, yeah. It's so, so convenient. It is. Yeah. So all my Facebook tweets go on to Twitter mm -hmm. or all my Facebook posts go on to Twitter. Mm -hmm. Because I figure, I mean, if, so, if, if somebody loves Twitter, then they're going to be on Twitter and they can see what I've posted. Yeah. It's all one and the same. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah. So if somebody, I mean, because some people prefer Twitter over Facebook and I don't want to leave those people out in the cold mm -hmm. and say, sorry, I don't have it. Mm -hmm. But, um... But back to Thoreau's quote. Yes. Which I, is, rather than love, than money, than fame, give me truth. Yeah, I think authenticity is very, very important. And that's something that I've kind of been looking for my whole life. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted to move out to the farm, because I wanted everything to be real. Mm -hmm. I wanted real exercise. I didn't want to be on a treadmill or a stationary bike. <laughs> bicycling to nowhere you know when i was a reporter i did a story on the spin class and it's like oh my gosh these people are on stationary bicycles and this person's at the front of the room telling you that you're going up a mountain and stuff <laughs> you know and it was just like this is so fake yeah like and um and i was never good at i was never good at um at anything that I knew I was supposed to do when I lived in the city. Mm -hmm. I was not I was not as good about eating food that I made from scratch. Mm -hmm. It was just too easy to get takeout. Too or, tempting. Yeah, and to go to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't... There was really no motivation to keep working out on a treadmill or going to a gym, mm -hmm. you know? Like, nobody at the gym was going to be sad and mm -hmm. like, oh, I miss you. I'm starving because you're not here. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons I wanted to move to the farm was because I wanted I wanted real food. Mm -hmm. I, I made it very difficult for myself. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can't call out for takeout. When I got my first book contract, my daughter, who follows a writer on Facebook that she's a big fan of, said, 
well, I hope you don't gain a bunch of weight. And I said, why would I gain weight? And she said that this author that she follows on Facebook complains about how much weight she gains every time she writes a book. Mm -hmm. She's just sitting around writing all the time. Yeah, and when I was in the middle of writing my first book, I, I said, wow, you know, I could see that if I lived in the city, I could get really overweight mm -hmm. because I'm sitting here writing. Like, I would get so into the writing... I didn't realize that I needed to eat until my stomach started to hurt. Mm -hmm. And then I would look at the clock and say, oh, my gosh, I haven't eaten in six hours. Well, at that point, it would be because I'm still really into the writing, you know. Mm -hmm. So it would have been really easy to pick up the phone and call for carry out to mm -hmm. have it delivered to my front door so I can keep writing mm -hmm. rather than getting off of my tush and going into the kitchen and cooking something mm -hmm. real. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to grab a donut because that's yeah. like instant fuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not and to mention the fact that you're actually going out and farming, which is, I just, don't you feel like, like, exercise and gyms and everything is just, like, trying to recapture yes. just the act of working. Yes. Physical. Yeah. Strenuous. Yeah. Backbreaking. Whatever you want to call it. This is my new, this is actually what I want to write a book about. And it is basically how modern life is killing us Oof. and how um, you don't have to move out to the country like I did, but you're going to have to develop a lot of personal discipline and mm -hmm. do things to compensate mm -hmm. for. That's what it is. Compensation. Yeah. You're going to have to do a lot of things to compensate for all the things you're doing that are really bad for you. I've always thought that TV, sitting around the TV is kind of like compensating for, um, for um, ancient um, campfires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just that act of just sitting and just sort of like basking in the glow of something. Yeah. Stories. Hearing stories yes. told by whatever. Mm -hmm. I yeah. just feel like it's just tapping into that old mm -hmm. caveman brain that just needs right. that in the evenings. You yeah. Know? I've heard other people say that too. Really? Yeah. Darn, I thought that was an original <laughs> thought. <laughs> I, think that I think that means that it's a... It has a lot to do with the human experience. Mm -hmm. Other people have thought that too. And that's what's gross about it because then it gets co-opted and abused and sort of manip it's manipulative, you know, because marketers know uh -huh. what they're doing. They yes. know that they're tapping into your hunter-gatherer mm -hmm. brain when you go to the supermarket and the mall. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I, I love reading about how human brains work and stuff. And that's... One of the things about fashion is that, you know, you don't need to buy new clothes every year. <laughs> you know, I've got, I I actually still have a turtleneck from college that I, I keep telling myself I really need to throw this away because this <laughs> turtleneck is now 30 years old and it's Just really out of, getting thin. Yeah. <laughs> but Just I by principle, still wear it, it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, we don't need to be buying new clothes every year. But the human brain has this need for novelty, mm -hmm. and that's what the fashion industry no. taps into, is that they know that we need we need novelty. And you think about it, you know, like, oh my gosh, like that sweater that I just loved so much five years ago that I was wearing it like three times a week, now I'm just ignoring it. Mm -hmm. But if you're out in the country, you're not surrounded by other people who buy into novelty. So mm -hmm. there's no one to keep up with. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's not it. It's not a keeping up thing. It's like mm. our own need for new stuff. Ah, it's more intrinsic. Yeah, it's an intrinsic thing. <laughs> it's really fascinating. It is. And the whole idea of, and like when you find something, like you find something on sale and things like that, that that also goes back to like a more primitive mm-hmm. feeling of, Basically, like, because when we were hunter-gatherers, we were out there looking for stuff to feed our family. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, I just found this great bargain. <laughs> uh, recently deceased ox carcass. <laughs> right. <laughs> that I didn't have to kill myself. Yeah. It's still warm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's really fascinating. There's a there's tons of stuff written um, in in the psychology mm-hmm. field mm-hmm. about how marketers use all of these oh, yeah. primitive yeah. parts of our brain. And that we consumers are like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing that. And the marketers are like, yeah, we've been doing that since the 1920s yeah. or whatever. Right. Like, making things smell good. Like, have mm. you noticed when you go buy an ice cream shop in the mall now, it smells like waffle cones? Hmm. That's, that. like, mm-hmm. it's like a scent that they're cranking out. Because mm-hmm. they're not actually cooking the waffle cones there. <laughs> they're just cranking out the scent. They're just cranking out that scent, like a diffuser. Yeah. Yeah. Because they discovered that they really didn't sell that much mm-hmm. when there was no smell. Mm-hmm. But smell makes people hungry. Mm-hmm. Olfactory. <laughs> All right, so new book ideas. You're going to write the one about um, midwife goats. What was it? The goat midwife. Yeah, I have two ideas. I have the goat midwife, which is sort of memoir-like and a lot to do with goat birthing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the how modern society is killing us. Yes. And then... Your interpretation of Thoreau quotes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one to throw in there at the end. Cool. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. I love Thoreau's quotes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I, I love his quotes a lot because I haven't actually sat down and read one of his books. Mm-hmm. So I'm a great reader of Thoreau quotes. Okay. And I like to read them out of order and in random paths. <laughs> Completely out of context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the way he intended it. No, I don't think so either. Such is modern life, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. Mm-hmm. But I wound up reading Thoreau a lot because I was an English major in college. Mm-hmm. So, and I think... I think that originally I read it in high school. I think it was one of those books I had to read mm-hmm. in high school. And then I'm sure I read it at least twice in college mm-hmm. for a couple of different classes in American literature. Because mm-hmm. that's what I really focused on was American literature. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it formed your, you know, your whole psyche to yeah. where you are now. It did. Yeah. It's really interesting because um, we have the kids camp at our farm mm-hmm. and like it's just so exciting to me that last year there were 82 kids there last year and how like if we just planted one little seed in mm-hmm. their brain mm-hmm. about their food or their health mm-hmm. or anything like that mm-hmm. that somewhere along the line that that could make a difference yeah. for them that That's that cool. could make them become healthier because, and make wiser choices. Because we know from our wise vantage point of age yes. that at some point, I mean, I can remember playing in my backyard with a creek and just 
being in the mud and looking at little crawdads and stuff and just like this whole world in the mud it just it's still it's like hardwired into my brain yeah like i know that there's there's this whole crazy weird world in the mud yeah <laughs> and it's like a, i still think it's mysterious yeah you know, mm-hmm. but it is cool to watch that and chill. That's one thing reason I like to teach, is to look for those moments where you can just see there. They don't have to say anything, but you just see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Our daughter, our youngest daughter, who's um, working on her PhD in biological chemistry, doing disease research. She totally credits growing up on the farm mm-hmm. with her love for science. That's cool. You know, um, I bought a microscope so that we could start doing fecal exams for our goats mm-hmm. instead of taking them to the vet to have the vet do them. And one of the first things that she did was she went to the pond and got water so that she could look at that under yeah. the microscope. And, yeah. see. and I mean, oh my gosh, just in yeah. one drop of water, yeah. how much you can see. I heard some stat recently that um, when conservationists and naturalists were polled or just questioned, like, how did you grow up? The common trend among most of them was that Mm -hmm. they just had time to wander in natural settings. Uh They just had time and expanse. Nothing real specific. No one was saying you need to be a tree expert or whatever. Just, like, time Mm -hmm. to explore. So, yeah, there you go. Have you seen the book Nature Deficit Disorder? Uh, that's um, yeah, that's um, don't tell me. It's actually one of my favorite. Um, it's so, um, Last Child in the Woods was uh-huh. like my that was one of my pivot books. Okay, when I read that one, Richard Louvre is it by the same author? I don't know. I mean, he coined the term. Yeah. He coined the term in that book, Last Child in the Woods, mm-hmm. Nature Deficit Disorder. Yeah. Which I think a lot of psychologists will be like, that's not a real disorder. But Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that book, when I read that, that's when I decided, like, I need to be a teacher of nature, whatever mm-hmm. that means, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's a depressing book. Yeah. But it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And you never, but you never know when you're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And that's the thing. It's like just all these little seeds because 40 years ago, I was no, I was not the person I am today. You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. I, um, 30 years ago, I was drinking two liters of soda a day (laughs) and I thought a hamburger and French fries was a perfectly healthy meal. Yeah. I didn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And and it was just all these little things. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Mm -hmm. the boyfriend in college whose mom was a Cordon Bleu chef Mm -hmm. where I started seeing like and and spending time in that kitchen and seeing her cook and like, Mm -hmm. wow, you can make things from scratch, (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. like she taught me how to make a white sauce. Mm -hmm. It's like you don't have to buy like the mixes and the packages and stuff like that. And um you know, the lady who was knitting her own mittens out of wool that she had spun. And, mm-hmm. and the, yeah, that's transformative. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And the boyfriend who was diabetic, who 
didn't consume sugar like I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of these different people that just kind of open your eyes a little, little here, a mm-hmm. little there. Because if it's preached to you, you're going to shut it off. Yeah. But if you're discovering it little bits and kind of creating your own connections between them, that's a lot more powerful, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in like the teaching method should just be doing. Just go out and do and let the connections happen naturally right. because if you try to cram it down their throats, yeah, it ain't happening. Yeah. They'll rebel. Right. You know? Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And you see that with adults all the time. You mm-hmm. know, they're sick with all of these diet related diseases. Mm-hmm. And they don't even, they don't want to hear that they've got the power within them to change, you know? Like that awesome Thoreau quote that I said, that's what gets me out of bed every morning. Mm -hmm. You know, three years ago when I got sick, if I would have believed what the doctor said, like, oh, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're just going to, this is just something you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to take medicine forever. Mm -hmm. Why would I have even gotten out of bed tomorrow? (laughs) Like, all right, let's just die. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing to work on. Yeah. There's <laughs> like no hope. I was like, uh-uh, no, this is not the way it's going to go. <laughs> I'm like, I have a really long to-do list still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to figure out how to make this. We're going to figure out how to get my health back so that I can go back and get going on this to-do list again. And you did. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. so. you had a close call there for a while. Yeah. Well, I got, I mean, it was crazy. It was like three years ago. Like I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis which is an autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. and then asthma and reflux and I was on a bunch of different medicine and they're like oh this is all not a big deal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm like oh yeah this is a big deal (laughs) they being the doctors be like don't yeah keep taking these cocktails and exactly yeah Mm -hmm. the doctors were like oh this is not a big deal at all these are perfectly safe medications lots of people take them Mm It's like, oh, no, they're not perfectly safe. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Like, there are so many... You can read the fine print. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of those people who reads all of the side effects, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, uh-uh, no, there's a long list of health mm-hmm. problems that come from taking antacids mm-hmm. and decongestants and mm-hmm. using inhalers and... Oh, man, nasty stuff. Yeah, and once you're... Th- and if you just believe that you're thyroid... Oh, you have this this autoimmune disease. Just relax until your autoimmune system kills your thyroid. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. And I think this is why your um, book, books, but specifically the one that I know well is um, Raising Goats Naturally, the reason that I love it is it is the antithesis of the pop culture advice on websites that you... Just Google and get quick advice. It's like, if you want to really learn about nutrition and health and and medicine for goats, it's there and it's deep and it's scientific and you have to spend some time with it and you have to devote some brain space to it. It's Mm -hmm. not, there's no quick fix and there's no big, broad umbrella general truth about anything with animals or people yeah you know and so you just have to be really well informed and that's hard it takes a lot of work yeah but the payoff is is good yeah and that's true with people too like there's no diet that works for everybody Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like you can't just pick up a book and go yep that's the one (laughs) paleo for me yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's like every everybody is different, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to work on it and tweak it. And mm-hmm. probably what's going to work for you is going to be a combination of something. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason that there are so many different books that are bestsellers. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been really fun. Good. I can think of no way to wrap it up except um, can't wait to read your new books. Thanks. Yeah, I have a new, I expanded Homegrown and Handmade. It comes out oh, yeah. in June. And how, why, why did you feel the need to expand it? What was the, was it just new information that was coming out? It was, um, I added three whole sections. Um, I added a section on pigs, homegrown sweeteners, so honey mm. and maple syrup, mm. and then a section on homegrown businesses. And mm. when I originally wrote Homegrown and Handmade, it was my first book. Mm-hmm. And even though I was traveling all over the country speaking, mm-hmm. when the publisher came to me and said, will you write a book? I still felt a little bit like, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know that I'm really qualified to write this. Mm-hmm. And like you're not qualified to be a farmer, really. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, and those were three things that I really did not feel qualified to write about. Mm-hmm the the three thing and I so I like I just didn't talk I didn't write about those at all in the Mm -hmm. book Mm -hmm. and um over the last six years since I wrote the first book Mm -hmm. I've I mean I've had six more years experience with all those things Mm -hmm. and I felt like I had something to say about them now cool so that's great especially starting businesses because I feel like that's like opens like this whole universe of possibilities for people yeah, and people really need to know that it's that is not like it was a hundred years ago. You uh-huh. know, you can't just <laughs> you can't just go and start selling your goat's milk and your yeah. eggs and your veggies and stuff. Like, it's a whole different world when mm-hmm. you are growing stuff to sell to people as opposed to for yourself. And a lot of people complain about the government regulations, and that is certainly one thing you have to consider. But the other thing you have to consider is liability. Mm-hmm. And Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like people complain about not being able to butcher animals and sell them. But, you know, like there's a poultry exemption. In Illinois, we could butcher 5,000 chickens and sell them off the farm. But I'm not going to do that mm-hmm. because if somebody got sick from one that we butchered. It's over. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. And there's a reason that those regulations are in place. Yeah. I mean, it's not all draconian, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, like, Joel Salatin even said that mm-hmm. he had a new customer who came out to their farm one day and bought three or four chickens and emailed or called him and was just really yelling at him because the meat was rotten and everything. And, you know, and after talking to her for a while, he finds out that, she had left the meat in her car for like hours. <laughs> User error. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah, but you're still all kind of on the hook. Yeah, and he's like, you know, we just butchered them that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And there is no way that though they were old and rotten because mm-hmm. they butcher in the morning and mm-hmm. people pick them up in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the bigger your company gets, the bigger, the less. Uh, trust there is you know and there's more there's less accountability because that was a situation where this was somebody that was referred by a friend and she had never bought Mm -hmm. stuff from them before she never bought stuff off a farm before Mm -hmm. you know so she drove out there and bought it Mm -hmm. 
So it's a little scary. Yeah. Well, cool. I can't wait to see the new book or the new, uh, not edition. Yep, that is second edition. Oh, it's the second edition. Yes. Of Homegrown and Handmade. Mm-hmm. All right, Deborah. Thanks so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Thanks. It was a lot of fun chatting about these quotes. <laughs> it was. <laughs> that was a great idea. I think we should. I think I'll try it again with other yeah. people on the quotes. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. To hear more episodes featuring interviews with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement, and to read my essays on everything from zucchini to zen, visit dharmaonthefarm.com. Until next time, farm on.